resides in this place and needs to reside in our hearts. We thank you, God, for giving us a reminder of your Holy Spirit. Father, as we move forward in this worship, we just want to ask that you stay, that your spirit just abide with us a little while longer. Help us as we continue to go along this road to transformation, that we inspire an entire nation to change their hearts, that we can blot out the evil that we saw that happened in New Zealand, that good people will stand up and speak against the atrocities of man, that we will have a president who will at least acknowledge evil for what it is. And if he fails to do so, that a nation will rise up and demand that he call things what they are. But it starts with us, God. It starts with us transforming and becoming the people that you have called us to be. So, God, we ask that as we move forward, as we continue on this road, that we take seriously the words that have been spoken, the, the messages that have been preached, the, the spirit that speaks to our hearts when we're alone, that we begin to change and begin to be more and more like you, that, that the image that we see in the mirror will have no filter, no filter of the world, no filter of man, but just your glory reflecting back at us. We need you, God. We need you, God. We need you, God. We can do nothing without you. And we love you. And we bless you. And God, we ask that your will be done. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. For we love you. And it is your son, Jesus Christ's name, that we do pray and believe. Amen. 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 Good morning, road to Damascus. Uh, it's good to be back be here, back, not like I've been gone, but just presence in God's house another day. Uh, glad that we can still be together as a family. Glad that life is what it is. Life is good. So we're just glad to be here. We're glad for our visitor who, who came to us this morning, uh, even though it was probably expecting a different church, but we're glad that you're here nonetheless. Uh, and we want to remember those who were sick this morning that were not able to be here. Uh, we want to lift them up in praise and prayer uh, that their bodies be healed uh, and that they be restored. And for those who are missing this morning that are uh, just missing for whatever the reason is, we just ask that God will continue to be with them and bless them and uh, be, the, be everything that they need in their lives. Amen. Amen. All right, so as we uh, go this morning to the Word, uh, we're starting a new series. Uh, I call it He Ain't Heavy. This is in no way a reflection of a sexist thing or a non-inclusive state of mind, just keeping it simple. It's, she ain't heavy either. Uh, but as you can see from the, the image, that we have a man who's at the top of the mountain and he's uh, pulling up whoever it is with him. And that is what we should be striving to do as people of God, that wherever it is that we go, whatever it is that we're doing, that we're bringing along people with us. It is not a good for those of us who call ourselves Christians to be the type of people who 
keep other people down because we're so afraid of them stealing our glory. We don't want them to have what we have. We want to be the exclusive. We want to be the big baller. We want to be the shot caller. We don't want anybody to have what we have. But in order for us to truly embody what God has called us to do, we have to continue to transform our mindset to get away from thinking, I'm going to be alone at the top and everybody else is just alone at the bottom. We have to lift each other up. I, I, I was inspired by Pastor Ray, uh, who every year he would do uh, a sermon series where he would entitle Relation Slips, not Relationships, Relation Slips, and the things that we do as people where we're slipping up in our relations, our friendship relations, our marital relations, our social relations with people. And so this series is, is geared towards us to work on what we would call our friendship goals. Like people would put on Facebook, talk about their relationship goals. We need to work on our friendship goals. Like the relationship that we have with our friends, or with our family, or the people who we choose to be in our lives that we call our buddies, our posse, our crew, or our squad. Uh, one of the things that we've done as a church, and my mom keeps telling me, that you need to put the pictures up when we donate the food to the food bank. This is part of building our relationship, that we continue to build our relationship, that we do what is necessary for the people who don't have as much as we do. Uh, this was a pretty big haul last week. Uh, probably, would you say, is our biggest that we were donated? That's a lot of food there. It's, there's a yes. Well, that's a wonderful thing, and, that, and that's, I, I would hope to believe, <laughs> that's us transforming and, and really grasping what it is that God is trying to do in our lives. Uh, and when we've heard me preach it several times, that human beings are the agency that God uses for change. That if people are saying, why is God not helping these people? It's because God's people are not helping God's people. When we have the means to go out and do something for people that have less than us, and we don't do it, then we're impacting people's lives. I've said it before, and I will continue to say, there are things, serious things at stake when we fail to do what God has called us to do. Yeah. That food represents meals for people who would have gone hungry. They were depending on somebody when they prayed for God that we need a meal, we need food. God is saying, you people who have rode to Damascus Church, go feed my sheep. Yeah. So if we were disobedient to that, somebody was going to go hungry. But thank God we are transforming and doing more and, 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 and helping God's people. I, I put it on social media and somebody sent me back. But you guys are, are bragging. Say, no, 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 no. I'm not putting this up here so people can brag. I put it in, I always put comments in. Partner with us so we can do more for more people. It's informing others that they can see what we're doing, not for the purpose of saying, hey, look what my little bitty church is doing. What's your church doing? It is not that. It's like, here's what we're doing. And we'd love to do more. But I would like your help with us so that we can buy more food and give more food to these people so that more people can be fed. Not for the purposes of bragging. Lord knows I can brag, but this is not one of those opportunities. So our scripture text, and we're going to, our anchor for this, uh, this, uh, this uh, uh, today, 
comes from the Gospel of Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 19. Remember, we're dealing with friendship goals. Okay? The word says, and he went up on the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he had given the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. Isn't it interesting that when God is talking about these people, Jesus' posse, or his crew or squad, whatever term you want to use, he names them all. Very first person he named was Peter, or Simon, he said, but he called him Peter, which we know in Greek, Petros means rock. And he called Simon, excuse me, uh, James and John, sons of thunder. Then he just goes on and names the rest. But these people were separate from the rest, but they're still part of this crew. And specifically says, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. And when we go forward with this, we have to think about for ourselves the people we choose to be within our crew. The, the people we choose to be our friends, and not only the people we choose to be our friends, to rethink what kind of friend are we to our squad? What kind of friend, what do you bring to the relationship? Not just what they give to you, but what are you putting in? And this is not just with friends, this is even within our personal relationships, with people who we have chosen to be with, our spouses, our family, our co-workers. Uh, I got a few quotes on, on friendship. Uh, one said, a person who has nothing to lose will help you lose everything you ever worked for. Choose your company wisely. A real friend is one who walks when the rest of the world walks in when the rest of the world walks out. That was from Walter Winchell. A real friend is one who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. Uh, one of the things they talked about with this, uh, this college tuition thing, Lori Laughlin and her husband are beginning to see who their real friends are. Because there are some friends who immediately attack them for what they've done, and then others who are still being supportive. I don't condone your behavior, but you're my friend. I don't like what you did, and what you did was vile and reprehensible, but you're my friend. A real friend walks in when the rest of the world walks out. The Bible gives us an example of what we should be looking at with friends. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15:33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You can't call yourself a good man and surround yourself with scoundrels. I'm not going to be faithful and hanging around with a bunch of players. Don't be deceived. He's, he's telling you right off the bat, don't be deceived. If you surround yourself with evil people, yeah. you will become evil. Yes, yes. 
Then he says in Proverbs, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. We're talking about Lori Laughlin and her husband. Now they're seeing the people who are truly their friends and love them at all times. And he says that a brother is born for adversity. That when you are going through some stuff, the person who you chose to be your friend will then become your family when they stick to you. Think about this. Jesus, when he is writing this through the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Samuel, I mean, I'm sorry, to King Solomon, he is foretelling what happens when he is on the cross. A friend loves at all times. All the disciples said that they would never leave him, that they would follow him. Peter specifically said, I will follow you even unto death. But when adversity hit, everybody scattered. But when Jesus was on the cross, there was only one who stood there at the cross. It is famously preached every uh, uh, Good Friday, one of the seven last words, when the only disciple who was there was John. And he said on the cross, Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. A brother is born for adversity. That moment, even though John was not his blood, he became his brother in adversity. What kind of friends do you have in your life? What kind of friend are you to the people that you call your crew? Uh, Posse. I use this word because... Phil Jackson famously wrote in his book talking about LeBron James referred to his friends as a posse. He, he said he didn't mean anything by it, but he used the word specifically, and he did mean something by it because professional athletes tend to have a group of people with them that they refer to as their posse. They just happen to usually be black. But he talked about a posse, but a posse is a group of people you do life with. Whether it's an entourage, clique, tribe, or squad, that's who your posse is. This includes family, friends, and even the faith community to which you serve. LeBron James chose his crew. Two of them stand out to me as individuals, uh, uh, Maverick Carter and Rich Paul. Childhood friends of LeBron James. Unlike Michael Vick, who had childhood friends that ended up keeping him in a lifestyle of the hood, found himself in prison. LeBron James' friends not only encouraged him and lifted him up, but he brought them up with them. Maverick Carter is like a big-time agent uh, and movie producer now in Hollywood as a result of his association with LeBron James. Rich Paul now heads one of the most powerful sports agencies in all of sports because of his association with LeBron James. These were childhood friends. They're not just a crew. They're not just a posse. These are businessmen and leaders in their respective fields because they all have lifted and worked each other, uh, brought each other up. Jesus gives us an example. He chose them, his disciples, and then he became and modeled. He became the example by modeling the desired behavior and attitudes that he wanted to see in his people. This is exactly what LeBron James did. He is, by some accounts for some, the greatest basketball player that ever lived. I would personally disagree, but that's neither here nor there. He thinks he's the greatest of all time, and he works hard to be as good as he is. 
And he showed by example, modeled the behavior and attitude he wanted to see with the people around him. You weren't just going to be somebody uh, hanging on my coattails. You're not just going to be hanging at the party. Matter of fact, you don't ever hear about LeBron James being out at clubs and partying all night long. He spends too much time taking care of his body to be the best he can for basketball that everybody else is like, this is what LeBron is doing and constantly pushing and constantly grinding. I have to constantly push and constantly grind. They help each other. Again, what are your goals as friends? What are you doing to lift up your posse? Or are they dragging you down? The end result of cultivating strong friendships should be individual and group growth, deeper and more meaningful relationships. <laughs> hey, Bailey, we hear you. Deeper, more meaningful relationships, and all of your lives should be enriched as a result of your association. Individual and group growth, deeper, more meaningful relationship, and enriching each other's lives. I, I, I've said it to many people uh, when they talk about the differences as a man who's been married more than once. And I said, what well, the reason things are different is because Chantel makes me better. Yeah. You're looking at me crazy. <laughs> as the years go by, our relationship has become deeper. It is more meaningful today than it was years ago. And at the end of our lives, we should be able to look back and say that we have enriched each other by our company together. After air, water, and shelter, the quality of your relationships with people determine the quality of your life. You see these people who have no friends, and, and the friends they do have are miserable people. The quality of their lives are just not there, as opposed to the people who have good, solid friendships, good, solid relationships. They tend to be very happy. We'll look at three types of friendships. Ordinary, which is a functional, beneficial, and satisfying. Nothing great, nothing bad, it's just ordinary. This is just, not just friendships, these are relationships. It's a marriage is functional, it works, it's beneficial. We got more money together, and, and I, I love you, and you kind of love me sometimes. Just ordinary. Then you have the less than ordinary, where it's dysfunctional, draining, and distressing. We know this exists in our friendships, that we have people who we don't talk to or we avoid because they're dysfunctional people. They distress us that we have these phone calls every time there's something going on with them. They drain us. Same thing with our personal relationships. There are people who we come into contact with every day that we live with, that they're dysfunctional and they're draining and they're distressing. Our marriages can be that way. Sometimes we have in the ebbs and flow of life that a marriage can become less than ordinary. It's, I don't want to go home. I don't want this person to come home. I'd be better off if I couldn't see him for a week or so. We know how that goes. Then you have the extraordinary relationships. Relationships that are enduring, enriching, and compelling. These are the people who you love to be around. You can't wait to see them. That when we go apart our separate ways in the evening, we can't wait till the next time we get together. 
There are times like that in our marriages when we feel that way, that right now we're in this extraordinary place that I can't imagine not being around this person. The only person I want to see right now is my wife or husband. But there are barriers that occur that keep friendship development or, or inhibit friendship de uh, development. Distractions and competing time demands. And my wife will tell me time and time again, or I'll tell her, hey, I got a text from so-and-so. And she'll say, oh, that's sweet. When was the last time you texted them? <laughs> Distractions and competing time take over and you forget to reach out to people who you love. Then sometimes there's misunderstandings about the nature of the relationship. We see that a lot in male-female relationships that one person thought this was more than the other person did. Well, this, this is just a casual thing, baby. I didn't. I know that we slept together, but uh, you know, I, I didn't. Wouldn't really want to marry you. Sometimes it just happens. Sometimes it's random, and other times it is what it is. Then you have uh, relationships. Or we also have to realize that relationships are living things that have to be nurtured. You can't have a relationship with a person and you don't do anything with it. You have to nurture it. You have just like a plant. You have to water it. You have to prune it. You have to fertilize it. That is part of my issue with the whole lit thing. And when it, because people, I, I did get some text messages and direct messages from people talking about, well, I didn't really appreciate what you were saying last week about Lent, which, you know, I'm like, well, what, what exactly did you have a problem with? Did I say anything that was untrue? Well, well, no, but, you know, this is an important period of time for me. This is when I work on my relationship with God. And I said, how sad is it that 40 days out of the year is the only time you set aside to work on your relationship with God? What would your relationship be with your children if you only work 40 days out of the year? What about your relationship with your husband or wife if you only spent 40 days out of the year? That's a pretty sad relationship, and it's pretty sad that you will call me and tell me that I'm wrong for telling you you don't set aside 40 days. Praise him daily. 40 days is my time to work on my relationship with God. I, well, you, you, you can't tell me. You can work on your relationship anytime, but I'm going to tell you, any physical relationship you have with another human being ceases to be a relationship if you only spend 40 days working on this bad boy. And you have the audacity to think that your relationship is somehow going to become stronger or better because you decided on Ash Wednesday... I'm going to start working on my relationship with God. Unless something else comes up that prevents this from happening. Because remember, you know, I was giving up red meat, but I had a business meeting at the steakhouse. And God understands I can't turn away this ribeye. <laughs> or the ice cream and cake because I'm going to lose a few pounds. But it was, you know, so-and-so's birthday at work. And it would be an insult not to eat any cake. Relationships have to be cultivated with time, attention, consideration. John 13, the Gospel of John, verse 34 through 35, gives us the ideal, the optimal conditions for cultivating friendships. You need to hear that term, cultivating. It's like a garden. You, know, when you, you just can't go and throw some seeds in the ground and expect something to sprout up. You have to prepare the ground. Dig it up and make it suitable for the seed to take root. 
put the fertilizer in and water it and keep the weeds from getting in this, in this place. Because if you don't, the weeds will come and choke out the plant. If the ground is not prepared, the seed may not take root. This is the same thing with our relationships. We have to fertilize and take care and then till the ground and nurture it so that they grow and become the relationships we need. So he says in verse 34, so I give you a new commandment. This is Jesus, the voice translation. Love each other deeply and fully. Remember the ways that I have loved you and demonstrate your love for others in the same ways. Everyone will know you as my followers if you demonstrate love to others. Everyone will know you as my followers if you demonstrate your love to others. How is it that we have so many people who identify as Christian still live and support foul people? Jesus said, I give you a new command. Love each other deeply and fully. That is a committed love that we're supposed to have for the people we call our friends. The people that we choose to be in our lives that we're supposed to love deeply and fully. That is without fail. That is without exception. That is unconditional. You love them deeply and fully means you would take me and accept me as I am. This is the old church hymn that says, just as I am, without a plea. When you're asking Jesus to come into your life and take me as I am, but we can't love others as they are. But this is the optimal condition for cultivating friendships is understanding that you have to love deeply and fully. So as we see, uh, uh, the first thing, great friendships start with selecting. How selective are you with the people you choose to be in your squad or your circle? How, how selective were they to choose you to be your friend? The Mark 3.13 says, And he went up to the mountain, and he called to him those he himself wanted. He didn't just call everybody. He said he called the ones that he wanted. How many people are really in your squad by accident? I mean, I got a, a one. Uh, he turned out to end up being my best friend. But Darren was somebody who was not supposed to be my friend. We, he was some dude I went to college with that I knew that I really didn't like at the time. But because the dude who I was supposed to be sharing an apartment with on campus invited him to be one of our roommates, and then he transferred schools, me and Darren ended up becoming friends. It was an accidental friendship. 30 years later, we still boys. But I chose and he chose to keep me as a friend. And I've said it before and I realized as I was working on this sermon that Darren has continually proven himself to be a better friend to me than I've ever been to him. So when I look at this sermon series, what, what kind of friend, when I can ask people, how do your friends help you and how do you help your friends? I can look at this from real life example that I have people who have lifted me up, who have supported me when I've been at my lowest and I've been non-existent. Remember, Jesus gave us an example, showed us that he chose his friends and that he modeled 
the desired behavior and attitude that he wanted his friends to have. We have people who are always saying, I want my husband or wife. I want my friend to be forgiving of me. But we can't forgive other people. Ellen. I want you to be, is she because she prayed that this morning. <laughs> I want people to be understanding and supportive, but I'm neither understanding or supportive. I want you to be patient with me, but I'm not offering patience. How are you expecting something from people that you aren't willing to give to others? You cannot expect somebody to love you unconditionally when all you do is judge them for everything they do. You can't expect people to be patient and kind with you and loving to you when all you do is yell at them. If every discussion we have becomes a fight, then you cease to want me to love you the way you expect me to love. This leads to something we call cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is a field of psychology. There's the mental discomfort experienced by a person who simultaneously holds two or more contradictory ideas, beliefs, or values. The discomfort is triggered by a situation in which a person's, person's beliefs clashes with new evidence perceived by that person. What am I talking about here? This is a, a um, you see this a lot in abusive relationships. The young lady says, my man loves me. This is what she experienced. That's her main core idea until he hits her. The evidence, new evidence says, he don't love you, sweetie. But she has this discomfort because now she's trying to put all this together. How does he love me and beat me? According to Franz Fanon, sometimes people hold a core belief that is very strong. When they are presented with evidence that works against that belief, the new evidence is not accepted. It's not accepted. That's why a woman will stay in an abusive relationship because on one hand he loves me, but on the other hand he hits me. The new evidence is not accepted. It creates a feeling that is extremely uncomfortable referred to as cognitive difference uh, and dissonance. And because it is so important to protect that core belief, they will rationalize, ignore, and even deny that anything doesn't fit in that core belief. Look at President, our president. People have said he is a Christian. Yet everything he has done has pointed to the new evidence that all the evidence says that's not true. So they ignore the, the fact that he's been married three times. They ignore the fact that he has cheated on all three of his wives. They ignore the fact that even his current wife was pregnant when he was sleeping with a porn actress. The new evidence says this man has nothing to do and knows nothing about the goodness of God, but yet they hold on to this core belief that somehow he is a Christian. They hold on to it so tight that they will allow him to autograph a Bible and sell it on eBay for $300. They have ignored the evidence. The evidence says this man is probably closer to the Antichrist than he is to Christ. I'd be afraid to hold one of them Bibles and thinking it would burn in my hands. Cognitive
cognitive dissonance is a pastor who shows up at a conference in our previous de uh, denomination with a loaded weapon in the conference to protect the bishop because they're expelling a pastor who they think is going to act crazy. But then now, it's all over Facebook encouraging people to fast so that we can have gun laws to ban guns. Your core belief is that you want to be a gangster pastor, but because everybody is talking about they want to fight against guns, now you're getting on the bandwagon. But you showed up at a meeting with a gun ready to shoot somebody. Now you fasted to end, uh, uh, get tough gun laws. Cognitive dissonance. I have this core belief, and the new evidence contradicts it, but I will ignore it because my core belief is here. What are we doing with our friendships, the people we choose? Are we choosing the people who are truly good? Are we ignoring the bad things about them because they make us laugh? The, you know, we say, well, they're good people. Well, good people don't behave a certain way. Good people, as, as, a, as a man to other men, you don't tell me that you're a good man if you beat your wife. You're not a good man if you don't take care of your children. If you are not standing up in your house and taking your rightful place as a man, I can't be your friend. Same thing for women. You can't call yourself a good mother if you're dropping off your kids every all over town. I was a good mother. You think you were a good mother. Your mother raised your child, not you. I mean, we see that all the time. Second thing, great friendships begin with the most important relationship. Your relationship with yourself. In Matthew's Gospel 22, 39 through 40, he says, and the second is likened to it. This is the famous chastisement of Jesus. What is the greatest commandment? He tells him the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is like it. And he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, these two things I command you, hang all the law. Love God first, but love your neighbor as yourself. My ability to love other people is determined by my ability to love myself. My relationship with myself is the most is the most important. It is the primary factor that determines the health of all my interpersonal relationships. If I have problems loving me, I can't possibly love you. If I have low self-esteem, we've seen this with people. When they, they're so needy that they can't do anything for themselves, when their esteem is so low, when they so drama-filled when there's, everything is going wrong, they can't possibly love you the same way, except the way they know how. Create drama in your life. You ever see this group, I, I hate to say it this way, but it's the only way I can think of saying it, when you see this group of people, just a group, a bunch of losers together. One more pitiful than the other. Because none of them have loved themselves enough to understand that this is, I gotta love God and then love me, love you as much as I love me. But because I don't love me, I'm gonna treat you the same way I treat myself. Constantly nagging, 
constantly putting things down because everybody put me down. I can't lift you up because nobody lifted me up. All I know is how to put people down. All I know is how to cause drama. Who's causing the drama in your life? These are the, remember these are the people who distress and drain you? They don't love themselves. Do you love yourself enough to love them up to a level? Or is this something you got to get away from? Third thing, great friendships make rooms for other people's shortcomings. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. As good as I think I am. And I'll tell anybody anywhere, I've come pretty close to <laughs> But there are shortcomings with Ron. And anybody who loves me deeply understands that, boy, he is a flawed individual. But I love him anyway. Thank you, baby. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 2 through 3. He says, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Whatever shortcomings I bring into this marriage with my wife, she has to accept it with lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering. Long-suffering, I mean, just think about this. I mean, those two words, that compound word put together. Long-suffering. That don't sound good. You tell me a long time I got to suffer with him? Are you suffering? <laughs> <laughs> and but this is how we're supposed to love these are the people who we call our friends long suffering bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit so he's essentially saying if I can't love you as an individual and if I can't be with you with long suffering and bearing up with you in love then there is no unity there that's where we see these, these relationships we have with people, be it a husband and wife, brother and sister, father and child, mother and daughter. The, the, the unity is gone. And he said, in the bond of peace. So if there is no unity, there is no peace. That's why you see something on the family gathering here. I don't go talk to, I don't go to the family gathering anymore because they're crazy. We have no, I am no longer dealing with them. I have, don't have a lowly spirit. I'm not being gentle with them. I'm not long-suffering. I've already suffered enough. The long is done. I ain't dealing with these crazy folks no more. And when we have that attitude, then there is no longer a unity of spirit and no peace. But it is obviously important to God that we have gentleness and lowliness and that we're suffering a long time with these people because you know what? God has suffered with us. We're sitting around here talking about all the stuff we can't forgive and get past and we're sitting around there day after day disappointing God. These people, these super Christians walking around with their big Bibles in their hand and uh, Paul, Pastor Paul Shepard said, I see you with your big Bible big enough to choke a goat. And ain't nothing changed in them. Their language is still the same. Their attitude is still the same. Their walk is still the same. They're the same person they were 20 years ago before they found Christ. They're just now carrying a Bible masquerading as a Christian. Thank you. 
there has to be a difference in us. Part of this transformation thing that we're going on requires some deep work and we don't want to suffer long with people. I've suffered enough. I'm tired of this nonsense. I'm not dealing with these people no more. I'm not dealing with you no more. But God is still dealing with us. To the cross, he suffered for us. And we expect to have great relationships when we can't even do this for people. These should be the goals, friendship goals. Last thing, great friendships don't merely tolerate differences. They celebrate the differences. You know, that's in the workplace, we, we talk about diversity and inclusion. Because businesses, great businesses, understand that in order to be successful, you need different people doing different things. You need this person with this skill, this person with this skill, this person with this mindset, this person with a different mindset, and the diversity makes us stronger. Great friendships don't tolerate differences, they celebrate them. We see this in Paul's letter, 1 Corinthians verse 12 through 4, he talks about the body. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one. So also is Christ. For by the Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Paul has put it right there plain. We're all different, but I celebrate your difference. If you read that whole passage in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about a thumb can't do what the eyes do. The heart can't do what the feet do. No one is more important than the other, but they all are necessary in order for your body to function. Your eye cannot digest food, but your stomach can't see. Your mouth cannot hear anything, but you can't eat unless you take food in. You can do have all these other things functioning, but if you don't have no feet, you can't go nowhere. And Lord knows what happened if you turn up and your sphincter shut up on you, you will die. The nastiest part of your body is probably one of the most important, next to the heart. If that thing shuts down, you will fill up with poison and die. This is what makes our human body remarkable, that all these different things are celebrated and worked together. LeBron James is an, a tremendous athlete. Rich Paul is not. Neither is Maverick Carter. But they're different, and they have different skill sets, and together they have built an empire. These little black boys from Akron, Ohio. I mean, you think about this. These are little ghetto hood boys from Akron, Ohio, but because one dude was a phenomenal basketball player, they have built something great. Because they worked on the goals of their friendship to be the kind of people that included other people. They cultivated these relationships. They separated, uh, celebrated the differences between them. And look at them now. What are you doing for your relationships? What are the friendship goals that you have for the people you know? What are your goals to be a good friend to the people who have been friends to you? What are you striving to be? Are you ready to transform into the kind of person who has great goals for friendships and relationships?
Are you content to be where you've been always? Angry and bitter, alone, weird to everybody else. When God has given so much to all of us and sacrificed so much for all of our raggedy selves. If you think about this, the gospel of Christ is the chronicle of God striving for emotional connection with humanity. I created you to have life. Jesus said, I've come to give life that you may have it more abundantly. This is an emotional connection that God is trying to have you with humanity. Build deep, enriching relationships with each and every one of us. He cared so much that we be a part of his crew that he sent his son to die. He did this so that we can all be a part of his, his crew, be a part of his possible. Because he's striving for that. So where are your strivings today? Where are your strivings when it comes to being a friend? And most of this has to do with our individual self. Not so much to question the people who are in our lives, but what are we bringing to this relationship? What is the chronicle of your life saying? We know what God's chronicle is doing. What is the chronicle of your life in building your friendship goals with the people you love? We better get with this transformation. Not tomorrow. Right now. Transform our thinking that we can be better. That we'll be lifting people up. That we'll be they ain't heavy. This is my boy. This is my girl. Well, they say this is my A1 from day one. And my mom used to say it's a ace boom. Are they really? Are you somebody's ace boom? Are you the ride or die? Then, or is it only when it's convenient? I can't be there for you right now, dude. It's too late. I, I gotta go do this. I, uh, the game is coming on. Uh, well, scandal's not on. I don't even know what the hot show on TV is anymore. Empire, Empire's on. I can't be there for you. These are the things we have to think about because when we expect good stuff, but all we give is bad, we're doing it wrong. We gotta change, and we gotta change now.